What's that? Well, it's point of view. One guy's got to get his taxes done. That's important. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah, we're gonna we are uh, we're gonna be on page five then. Last days and rapture ready. And if, and then if, um, no, I'm okay. I'm good with water. Thanks. So what we're gonna do first of all though is we're gonna talk about big picture again. So we're going to walk through, and I want to do this time, though, is park a little bit more on tribulation and give just a little bit more meat to the tribulation time period. As I go in through the definitions the last session, um, we want to make sure we have clear definition of terms. If we don't have clear definition of terms, we're going to be lost as can be because we have to understand what we're talking about when we say and in the last days, you're going to go through the prophets, it'll say that phrase, and in that day, you know, it's, it's something that's future that is yet to come, even for us, and there's going to be a day that's going to be coming, uh, the day of the Lord, for instance. So a lot of this has to do, uh, obviously, with the uh, future. Well, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we always need you when we're looking at your word, and it is an absolute privilege for me to be able to to hopefully help your people. And some of these, um, this is brand new. Some, they've studied it out well and everything in between. So I pray that we'll all glean something from your word. That we'll always get all get something from it. And Holy Spirit, the only way that can happen is if you illuminate your word to our hearts and to our minds. So we submit to you now. I pray, Father, that your will will be done in our hearts and lives. And thank you for each one that's been able to come and to stay for this session and bless them for it, and we'll thank you for Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay, uh, we're on page five then. Um, what I want to talk about is, again, the big picture. So that's why I like to walk around. And this is what I do with my group on Tuesdays, and last year we did it on Sunday mornings too. So here we are, looking at the timeline of eschatology, which means a study of last days. Very good. And so here we are, the, uh, the, the, the church that started Acts 2, and it's going to conclude at what point? When is the church age going to be completed? Rapture. So we're snatched away, and we're up into heaven. So here we are, up in heaven. What's the first thing we should expect when we get into heaven? Judgment. Which one? Judgment seat of Christ, or the Bema seat, as is also uh, said. Uh, do you know what the word Bema seat means? Bema means? We use it. It's a good term. It's, it's, it's to be illustrated this way. In the races, there was a seat that would overview the races. And what the Bema seat was doing is watching the racers, but they're also making sure they're doing it lawfully. Nobody's cutting. Nobody's shortcutting or doing something wrong because if they won, but they did it illegally, up oh, you lose your prize. So they make sure those who are in the race run it legally. Remember, not, uh, all run the race, but only one receives the prize. Run that you may be able to obtain that. Remember, that's the thought of the Bema looking down over and going to be ultimately making the decision who receives the crown. So Christ is going to be looking at our works and he's going to be judging according to how we have done it. That's why you couple that with 1 Corinthians 13. Though I have the faith to move mountains, but I don't have love, nothing. Absolutely nothing. 
So God's looking at our motives. He's making sure we're doing it according to His Word. And that we're doing it for Him. So when we do it right, we re- receive uh, a crown, right? So, so, so there we are in heaven. What's the other thing that we should be expecting to be part of in heaven during that seven years? Marriage supper, right? So the marriage feast. It's interesting in that chapter, there's two feasts. The first one is the marriage feast. And the second one is the vultures feast. That God says, come on in, all birds. Time for you to have a feast. Eat on kings. Eat on everybody. So two feasts. Kind of a neat message I heard on that. So that's us in heaven. And then what's going to happen to conclude that seven years for us? Battle of Armageddon. And who's going to be coming down? Christ is going to come down and he's riding on a white horse. Remember that? We're going to talk about that in a second. So he comes down on a white horse. We're coming down on white horses. And he's going to be coming down. And that's where it says he is coming as king of kings, lord of lords. So there's other lords, but he is preeminent over all of the earth. Psalm 2 alludes to the kingdom. If you've not studied the Psalms in light of prophecy, you're missing it. There's all kinds of prophecy in the Psalms. Psalm 2, kiss the son lest he be angry with thee. All about the king Jesus, Psalm 69, his first coming. Psalm 22, his first coming. Psalm 83, the nation of Israel and how the attempt to genocide them. So Psalms are full of prophecy also. So um, that being said, so that's us. We're going to come down. Now, the rest of the people on earth. So we're, we're snatched out of the way. And what chaos is going to be happening right away? We're going to be getting into the tribulation. But something's going to happen before the trib actually starts. Remember that war of Gog, Magog, Russia coming down? And then they're going to see a need for peace. So there has to be a signing of the peace treaty. Sir? So the first war is at the beginning of the tribulation. That's the Magog, Magog? Before the trib starts. Yep. There's two train of thought. Some feel that the church is actually going to be seeing... Russia come down, and Egypt and uh, Syria are all talked about that they're going to be merging uh, on Jerusalem, and they're going to lose. They're going to die. It actually talks in the chapters, and you have all the notes on this, that um, there are going to be so many dead bodies that they're going to be trying to find places to bury them, because God's going to come in and say, you lose. That's what... Most I feel that we're going to be gone before that battle. Some feel that we are going to go after it. I disagree with that because I believe that is what is going to establish the need for the peace treaty. Exactly right. There and thank you. That's where we're heading to with rapture ready. There is no prophecy that must be fulfilled for Christ to come for us in the air. There is a Dozens of prophecy that have to be fulfilled for Jesus to come back to the earth for the second coming. See the difference? Remember, Ken, you were bringing that up. What's the difference between rapture, trib, and then second coming? Well, the key is no prophecy for rapture. We could go yesterday. Yeah, wish we would have, but he could have come yesterday. 
Um, there's even some scriptures almost like Paul was thinking, he might come in my lifetime. You know, I'm sorry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could have, though. It could have. There's nothing. So, so then, then we have this chaos with the nations, a world war that's going to cause a peace treaty. Then, and then that peace treaty, Daniel 9, 27, is what starts that. And we haven't seen that yet. So let's go ahead and look at that, Daniel 9. I, do, I wish I had more time with you folks, um, but a lot of these you'll have to study out on your own as you go further. Um, obviously, Daniel is a huge book when it comes to uh, prophecy. Uh, chapter 7, uh, that's where you're going to learn about the, the ten horns and you're gonna learn, you know, things along that line. You're, t- you're going to learn about a beast that was slain. Um, the list goes on. Um, and then in chapter chapter nine is where we're looking at, and we're going to look at the at the latter part. Uh, and hmm, I just don't have time. If I start reading in verse twenty four, we're not going to get done. So that's where you would normally start, and that's where the four hundred ninety years that we talked about are established. But there's one week or one set of seven years that haven't been completed yet, and so verse twenty. Yep. Yeah. So we are in chapter 9. We're going to pick up in verse 26. I will go back that far. No, this is all free. (laughs) After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. So that will be Christ coming to die. The real Messiah. You'll notice some of your translations may have even capitalized the M. Messiah there. But he's not going to be cut off or die for himself. In other words, when Jesus died, he died for the sins of the whole world. Not because he was the sinner. He was cut off for others. And the people of the prince that shall come. So you'll notice prince is not capitalized in most translations because it's trying to show you the other prince coming. That's the Antichrist. If you go back to verse 25... Messiah, the prince, is capitalized, showing that's talking about the real Messiah. Now the Antichrist is coming on the scene. And he shall come and and destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end shall be with a flood. Under the end of war, desolations are determined. Verse 27. And he shall confirm a covenant with many, that's many nations, for one week. That's the 70th week of Daniel prophesied about. That's going to be seven years. That's the tribulation. Now notice this. In the middle of the week, he will cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. So that's the sacrifices that the Jews are going to do in the third temple. He says, no more sacrifices. And for the overspread of abominations, remember we use those terms, something detestable, uh, he shall make it desolate. In other words, empty. Even until, and this gets a little wordy here, and I'll explain it, until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Meaning, he is going to do this until he himself is destroyed. So he's going to continue this for three and a half years years. Three and a half comes in all the time in the trip. Um, the, remember the two witnesses? Some feel Elijah, 
and Moses because of the miracles they do. Some people feel it's Enoch and Elijah. Whoever you think it is, have fun with that. I still feel it's Moses and Elijah because it, they represent the law and the prophets. You got it. So that's where I feel that it's going to be those two. Guess how long they're going to be on the earth? Three guesses. Three and a half years. Yeah, you got it. So there's this whole laying out. So here is in the middle of the week is when the Antichrist is going to go in and desecrate the temple. Okay? So that's, that's the flow of that. So we know that the seven-year trib is, is divided into two by that. But the trib itself starts, though, as soon as that treaty is, is, uh, is signed. And so what happens when the tribulation begins? Well, from heaven's view, what is God going to be doing here on this earth that reflects tribulation, and as Jesus said, great tribulation? There it is. So those are known as the seven seals. Very good. The seven seals that are going to be opened up. Um, we're going to learn about this Sunday morning. Remember, John in chapter 5 is like, oh, there's this book and nobody's worth, you know, found worthy to open up this book. And he's weeping, and, and then he says, weep not because the lion of the tribe of Judah is, is going to open it up. And everybody's like, yay, 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 and we're going to be there as the 24 elders, and we're going to be worshiping the one who is worthy to open up this book. Well, guess what this book is? The seven seals. So the one who is worthy to unleash the wrath of God as these seals are opened up, this scroll is opened up, is Jesus Christ. Now, I'll teach you something. Why is Jesus worthy? Why? And he's called two things in that text. He's called the Lion of Judah and the Lamb. Lion and Lamb. All within the same text. The Lion represents the King coming in authority. The Lamb is docile. So that reflects back to the first time Jesus came as the Lamb of God who died shed his blood for the sin of the world. And the one who died for the people is worthy then to bring the judgment for them because they reject him. You follow me? He is worthy. And we're going to be going, wow, God, you are worthy. Can't wait for Sunday morning. I love to preach that text. So, so here we are then. And, and where, do the, where do the seals then, where is it revealed that they're starting to be unleashed? That's in actually chapter 6. And to help you understand, in chapter 6, the first six seals are opened up right away. The first four are known as the four horsemen. Ever heard that before? Anybody remember the color? I'm not, I probably could remember them all, but I'm not going to try. But I know the first one, though. Anybody remember what the color of the first horseman is? White. Good job. You know Why? the Antichrist. And God is going to allow the Antichrist to come down and start bringing catastrophe. Then you have red, etc. And so, so we have these four horsemen. That's the first four seals. 
And then you have the next couple of seals that involve um, the destruction of the uh, grass and things that are on, in, on the earth. And so livestock, things that man needs to be able to eat, are, are going to start being taken out um, temporarily. So God begins to bring this out. So, okay, so let me see if I can help you with now the rest of this. So we have seven sealed scroll. First seal, white horse. Second seal, third seal, uh-uh, the whole way to the end. So we have six seals opened up in chapter six. You think, oh, we're almost done. Oh, not so fast. Okay, we're not even close to being done. Because the seventh seal needs to open up. And in chapter eight is where the seventh seal opens up. So what's the first thing the seventh seal contains? Seven trumpets. Yep. Yeah, 30 minutes of silence in heaven because it's about to hit. So the, the seventh seal contains the seven trumpets. I'm going to get you more confused now. Because of trumpets five, six, and seven are known as the three woes. The seventh trumpet, which is the third woe, opens up the next thing, which is the seven bulls. The seventh bull is when Jesus comes back in that big earthquake and 100-pound hail balls are coming down and destroying everything. That's what concludes the whole tribulation. So it's almost like it opens all up. I don't know what they're called, but I, I, I can't remember if it's Switzerland they make these things. But you ever see those little dolls where you take it out and then it's a smaller one, and then you go to the next one, it's smaller, smaller. That's to me what this is like. It's like it's all contained within this scroll, but when you open it up, it keeps going and going and going and going. So let's see how you do. How many seals are there? Seven. The seventh seal in and of itself contains three things. The first is the seven trumpets. The seven trumpets, the second thing, contains the three woes. And then that seventh trumpet, or last woe, contains the seven bulls. So it's the seven bulls, seven trumpets, seven seals. And you'll notice the number seven quite oft, huh? So the number seven is a number of perfection for God, right? So it's, 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 it's perfection. The number 10 is the number for completion, 10 commandments. It's like everything's contained in it. It's complete. So the number seven is that number for God is perfection. It doesn't get any better than this. And it reflects on the character of God. So we have the seven seals. The seventh seal contains the seven trumpets that contains three woes. The last trumpet, last woe, contains the seven bulls. Y'all are trained professionals. I can go home. So, so this is what's going to be unfolded. And they are all revealed in chapters 6 to 19. The trip, the rapture, excuse me, the, the, the revelation, this is what's frustrating for us in American culture. It's not in chronological order. Okay? It's not. 
You go to chapter 16, he's dealing with Armageddon. And, and then you go over in chapter 19, he's dealing with Armageddon. He's dealing with Babylon earlier, and then he deals with Babylon later on. And so we all like, why didn't he just put it in order for us? Well, in God's way of looking at this, and as it is written, he's trying to give us at times the big picture. One of the most powerful chapters, and we probably will talk about it Sunday morning if I have time, is in the seventh chapter of the Revelation. You know what happens in that chapter? Anybody know any of, remember anything in chapter seven, what happens? Well, the first thing that he talks about is the sealing of the 144,000, right? And then we have 12,000 out of every tribe of Israel. And then after that, he says, and then after this, I believe as a result of the witness of 144,000, he says, I found a number of people in heaven out of every nation, every tribe, every language. And guess where they came from? Tribulation. They are all the people that got saved during the tribulation time period. So we think, well, nobody's going to get saved during the trib. Oh, not according to the Bible. Millions of people are going to be getting saved during the trib. God is not done saving people. It's going to be harder for them. Matter of fact, it talks about the souls under the altar weeping to God, saying, God, how long, how long until you bring vengeance for our brothers that are on the earth still suffering, still being attacked by the Antichrist, being hated because they haven't taken the mark of the beast. How long? Well, it's a total of seven years. That's how long. But still the prayer is, God, we're weeping for them. And so we learn then another fact that millions of people will be saved during the tribulation time period. Yay! It's a good thing. It's a really good thing. So the witness of the 144,000 Jewish men, the witness of two men, Elijah and Moses, or whoever you think they are, and we have also new believers that are going around and, and sharing the gospel. Some way, somehow, somebody's going to win these 144,000 Jewish men too. So somebody gets saved, and it starts to spread, and these men, and this is God's sovereignty, his department, he can do whatever he wants, and he says, this is what I want. These Jewish men saved out of every tongue and language, and they're not going to just stay in Jerusalem. They're going to be going all over the world and preaching the gospel, because it says all these nations are going to get saved. People have everyone I don't know if you studied on them. Yeah, go ahead. It's interesting, too. I was just reading verse 16, that of the 144,000, they'll no longer hunger, they'll no longer thirst. That's exactly right. The sun won't strike them, nor will they be in the scorching heat. Yep. They're, they're sealed. Satan can't touch these guys. Bottom line, they are sealed. Just like you were bringing up earlier, those who are sealed by the mark of the beast, their doom is set. The same with these men. These are unique men that are set apart for that very purpose. No one can touch these guys. And what's really cool, you go ahead and read. Verse 15 says, these 144 will be around the throne of God serving him day and night. Yep. So they have a special position. And then read the rest of it. I think it's just after that. Yeah, the throne will shelter them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is there another verse after that that talks about them singing? Uh, they have a song that no man knew but they themselves. It's in 14 somewhere. 
Are you in 14? No, in, in chapter 14. Oh, no. 14, 14 is where it actually gets into the detail. And this is what I was talking to you about last night. This is so, yeah, this is so cool. Because it says that these men are virgins. They're not married. They haven't defiled themselves with women. So they are separated to the, for the purpose of preaching the gospel. And they are part of the first fruits. Anyways, um, oh, where's it say? Yeah, verse 3, yeah. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts. We didn't talk about that yet, but there are four angels. And the elders, that's us, 24 elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000. So I told Kenny last night, some of you are old enough maybe to remember the, remember the 16 singing men? They were really cool. In heaven, we're going to hear... The 144,000 Jewish singing men. And they have rehearsed this song. And they are going to corporately come together. No solos, no duets, no special. It's all a corporate singing, which I love the best. And they are going to look right at the throne and they're going to worship God in song. And we're going to be going, wow. Yeah. That's exactly right. So, and this is what confuses us. You know what confuses us? God just showed us the end. Them before the throne. So they will be brought before the throne. And also chapter 7 shows us the end of the trib. What's, what's, what's the end of it all? Millions of people getting saved out of all languages, not just Jews. People all over are going to be getting saved. So every once in a while, God says, and let me give you the end of the story to give you a little hope of what's going to actually happen. That's to me why God did it this way. So, yeah. So, so that's that seven years. And in the end of seven years, and Jesus said, there's going to be earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and Antichrist coming on the scene and flee Jerusalem and another place, flee Babylon, get out of there because God's ready to rain down some wrath on them. And so finally, there's going to be this ultimate battle, Armageddon, that Jesus is going to come back on a white horse and that's what's going to conclude the tribulation time period. And then we're going to get into the what reign? Millennial reign of Christ. And uh, it's going to start out with all believers. Um, I believe, personally, it's going to be Old Testament saints because they were promised the earth. You, you want to inherit the earth? I don't. I like gold streets, pearly gates. Uh, you can have dirt. Um, I, like, I like heaven, thank you very much. I like mansions and all that. So that's our New Jerusalem. That's where our abode is going to be. So they are going to inherit the earth because at, uh, God says to Abram in chapter 12, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a covenant with you because you are the one that represents the people. Because from you, who doesn't have a child yet, you're going to have a son. Who's going to have a son? Who's going to have a son? And so this nation is coming from Abram. And he said, because of this, you are going to be not just a father of an, a nation, but you are also going to be the father of many nations. You've got to study Galatians. If you haven't studied Abraham, oh, my word, it's so powerful how we are connected to him. But the blessing is ultimately to Israel and to the Jews. And he says, you're going to go to a place, Hebrews 11 talks about it too, you're going to a place you've never been before. And everywhere you put your foot, it's yours. But sorry, 
you're not going to live to see it. They ultimately, under Joshua, got into the land, but really didn't possess the whole thing. But there will be a day when Jesus comes back that God is going to know the borders that was promised to the Jews, and they're going to have it, and they're going to be, Jerusalem will be the capital, Jesus will be the king of kings, and the whole earth will understand the kingdom. And sadly, some are going to rebel, though, and they're going to go against him. And uh, so sure enough, that rebellion is going to bring in that last war of Gog Magog that we talked about, that world war at the end of the millennial reign, and that's when God wipes it all out, wipes the elements. It's, it's, to me, it's a cleansing of sin, cleansing of the sin of the earth. Second Corinthians 5 talks about how even the earth groans, just waiting to be restored. It's tired of the curse. Well, the curse is finally ultimately going to be lifted when there's a new heaven and a new earth and they start eternity and then the new Jerusalem comes down and all is blended together and it's going to be awesome. Okay, any questions there? Rapture now. Rapture, rapture, rapture. Well, you got last days. Um, there's all your text um, on that and and you have to go through and if you got a good study Bible or you know, concordance or something, you know, you can go through all these different words that, that give um, detail. And so all these are the texts. Now I want to get into uh, rapture and being rapture ready. Um, can somebody save my voice um, and read that first paragraph for me? The word rapture does not exist in the Bible, but the meaning of this word stands out abundantly. Rapture means the carrying of a person to another place. That is what will happen according to the scriptures. Jesus will take us to be with him in heaven, John 14, 1-6. This is known as the resurrection of the church. We will study many scriptures to prove without a doubt this important doctrine. Good, good, good. So, you know John 14? Oh, it's okay. Hey, buddy. Let not your hearts be troubled. Who's Jesus talking to? The disciples. Right before he was crucified. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, but believe also in me. Because in my Father's house are many mansions. New translations have many rooms, bridal chambers. Either way is fine. I like mansions. It sounds bigger. Anyways, <laughs> so uh, in my Father's house are many rooms, bridal chambers. And if it wasn't the truth, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Remember we talked about the marriage feast, marriage and all that? He's going to prepare a place for you. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and I'm going to receive you unto myself. That where I am, you're also going to be there. And, and, and where I'm going, you know, and the way you know. Tom says, Lord, where are you going? And how can we even know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, truth, and the life, and nobody can go to the Father but by me. So, all of this is the development of rapture. And the JWs say, no, that was only for the disciples. That that promise was not given to the church. So they deny that that text is dealing with rapture or the resurrection. Well, that sounds real deep, but the problem is, the same concept is repeated over and over and over and over again in the New Testament. It's not isolated to John 14 only. Matter of fact, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians, Philippians, 
Colossians. All of these texts zero in and talk about you and I and our hope to be in heaven one day. What's the rapture going to be like? Well, talk to me about what you know about what's going to happen when the, when the church is snatched away, raptured, and taken up into the clouds. What do you know is going to happen to us, biblically? I know you know. Our number one, this corruptible body, this dying, is going to have an incorruptible body. So it's going to be, number one, a body that never changes. You can't get any better, and you'll never get worse. It's consistent, always, for all of eternity. So you, there's no decay because of sin. Oh, sin, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is it? Where, oh, 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 sin, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? Because all of that is done away with, right? So what else you know? It's going to be an immortal body, meaning it will never die. So your new body will never fake. No, no funerals in heaven. Okay? What else do we know about it? Let's think about some of the stuff in 1 Thessalonians 4. The problem there was, well, we think that if you're not alive when Jesus comes back, you're going to miss it. So some felt that if you weren't alive when Jesus returned in the air, well, sorry, buddy, you're in the grave and you're going to miss out on the rapture. Well, guess what? That's why chapter 4 is there. What does he tell us about those who are dead in Christ? They go first, let alone just go. They, get the, they go before us. We're not going to go before them. They go first. And then also, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together in the clouds, and we will forever be with the Lord. And he tells us to do something with those words. Comfort one another with these words. And that's, this should be a comfort to you. You got burdens? They do. We all have burdens. And sometimes this life, the burdens we have, can consume our thoughts. And we get depressed. We get all negative. We deal with our health. We deal with our kids. We deal with jobs. We deal with money. We deal with all the things that pertain to this life. And we get so consumed with that, and we forget Jesus is coming back for us. Our husband, who loves us unconditionally, he loves us not because we're beautiful. He loves us because he loves us. That's it. He's going to take us and make everything new. Look at a couple of, of these texts with me. Look with me to... Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Correct. Of us. That's correct. So that's why I mentioned compared to the Old Testament saints and what was promised them, what was promised to what was promised to the tribulation saints and what is promised to millennial saints is nothing like what is promised to us, the church age. So this is for us. Key phrase in Christ. The dead in Christ. 
So we, the believers, according to 1 Corinthians 12, are immersed into the body of Christ or baptized into the body of Christ. And that's when he gets into the spiritual gifts. So when you got saved, the Holy Spirit took you and put you part of Jesus' body, the bride, and he might have made you an eye or a nose or an ear, but you are part of the body of Christ as he wills it, as he chooses it. So we are part of this body of Christ, and we are espoused to him. And ultimately, when he comes back for us, the culmination of the wedding will then take place. We'll finally be with him for all of eternity. That where Jesus is, we will be also. Yep. And we will not be then multiplying and, uh, and, and things. That's not, our, that's not ours. Those who are going to the earth are going to get different kind of bodies. So they'll be able to marry and have children, etc. Mm-hmm. And so I assume that, that they, you know, having, having put their faith in God, but not in Christ, because they didn't know about him yet, mm-hmm. uh, would go into the, uh, would go to heaven, maybe be on the new earth. Yep. But what, what does that L- mention? Well, flow. Let me, let me give you that flow. That's a really good question. Um, so when we look at the Old Testament saints, when they died, where did they go according to Jesus' teachings? That's right. So here they were, then there's these two sides of Sheol or the hell. Um, so we have a divide between the two, rich man, poor, and, and, and Lazarus. So Lazarus goes into paradise or Abraham's bosom, as it's also called. And that was the holding tank for the Old Testament saints. Then when you go to Ephesians 4, he says, based on Christ and his resurrection, he took captive those who were held there. And that's why Christ is the first resurrected. They, it even says um, in the Old Testament, not even David ascended yet into heaven. You know why? His Messiah didn't die and rise again yet. So Christ is the first fruits. And the word first fruits has to do with the first picking do you ever study this first? I can do it in 30 seconds. It's really powerful. Because 1 Corinthians 15 gets into this whole concept of Christ being the first fruits. And it's tied together with the resurrection. So right now we're getting through this horrible winter that's lasting forever. And we're just waiting for those, those plants to start springing up out of the ground that is going to bring forth some fruit or vegetables that we're going to harvest someday. Well, the thing is, right now he says... He says to, to people, he says, Aren't, you're kind of foolish to not know that a seed must first die before it can bring forth life. And he says, that's what Jesus did. He died and he rose again. And we will follow suit. Because he rose from the dead, we also will die, unless rapture happens, of course. And we will wait for that resurrected body that's going to bring forth fruit. So Christ, in other words... When I pick that first fresh tomato and I slice that down, inside that tomato is going to be a whole lot of seeds. 
If I put those seeds into the ground, what's it going to do? Nothing. But then you have these volunteers the next spring after those seeds are in the ground all winter long and they die. Then they can bring forth life. So God says, my creation that I made proves the death and the resurrection. Isn't that powerful? So Christ is the evidence, Christ's resurrection is the evidence of life from the dead. Just like a tomato is evidence of life from a dead seed. Jesus Christ died and rose again. So once he's the first fruits, then he's one. Now, can I get a little deep with you? Um, remember later on in chapter um, 20, I think it is, or it might be 19, but I think it's 20. He starts talking about blessed are those that have part in the first resurrection of which the second death will have no power. Those who are part of the second death are all going to die and go to hell, the lake of fire ultimately. So the first, first resurrection is this sequence. It's not just one resurrection, it's the resurrection of all the righteous. So the first resurrection is who? Jesus. Then we have the believers. Then we have the two witnesses. Then we have at the end of the trib. And then we have the end of the millennial. We have all these righteous people that God says, let me gather you and bring you together in a resurrection form to have a different kind of body to inherit the earth or for us to be in heaven. So that's the blessing for those who are believers and are part of the resurrection that started with Jesus. So that's the, the whole sequence of that part. That's okay. Yep. They're already in heaven. When Jesus took them, Ephesians 4, after he rose from the dead, he took them with him. So they're there now waiting. Absolutely. Okay, that's the promise to the church in Christ, not the Old Testament saints. So they're, they are, they're waiting ultimately to inherit the earth. So it, it, the, the, old, the Old Testament saints, when I say inherit the earth, that would be millennial talk when Christ is on the earth. Exactly. Now follow me. At the marriage feast, if you remember... There's the marriage feast of the Lamb, and then there's guests. Ooh, who are the guests in heaven that are not part of the actual marriage feast? You got it. The Old Testament saint, trib saints, all those are there, but it's for us, the bride. Yep, and then you also have the ten virgins and all that that's tied together with virgins, plurality for Israel. So, so yeah, so the Old Testament saints didn't get to go to heaven, even David himself, until Jesus resurrected. Because he died for their sin. He died and rose again for them too. He died for the sins of the whole world, all ages. Okay, The law was only a... Uh, it says in Hebrew... I'm sorry... Hold on, I'll get it in a second. But Christ is the aim of the law for righteousness. In other words, the law all pointed to Jesus Christ as the means for salvation. 
And so, so Christ died and rose again for them. But their promise, the covenants and promises that were given to Israel, is that they will one day inherit the earth. And that's the millennial teachings of, of Jesus and Matthew. The Beatitudes are all millennial kingdom teachings that are going to be given to them. Blessed are you, the, the meek, they will inherit the earth. Got it. And so that's their promise. And the trib saints also, the believers during the trib, they're going to be, once the earth is purified and Christ comes down, they're going to be going into the millennial kingdom. There's a proverb in Isaiah, you probably got getting to it. It says, if a man dies at 120, it's like a little kid just died. What he's trying to say is, people are going to live so long during the millennial reign. If, if they died at 120, oh, the poor, they're just a little kid. And us, 120, man, that's an old man. Well, during the kingdom, 120 is nothing. Because they're going to be living hundreds and hundreds of years because they're not going to die. I'm sorry? Not in the millennium. They'll be doing well because Jesus is going to be here. He's going to rule them with a rod of iron. Sin will not be tolerated. Losers, yeah, I mean, it's possible for maybe a lost person that rebels to maybe be stricken. But it seems like he does more cursing to the nation who won't love the Messiah. And eventually, those kids being born during millennial reign are going to rebel. And they're going to go against Christ when Satan is, rele- is, is released. Yeah. So I believe the Old Testament saints were in the holding place until the resurrection of Christ. Ephesians 4 then says he took those captive. He gathered them and, and took them up into glory with him. So they will be there. We who are in Christ from Acts 2 on will also then go up into heaven but we are waiting for that brand new body when the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds and we will be forever with the Lord. I'm sorry? Yes. Right now, you mean? Yes. So 2 Corinthians 5, uh, I have one friend, he kind of feels that when... Christians die, they're, it's just their spirit floating around. I disagree because of 2 Corinthians 5. He says, we don't, what we are looking forward to now is to be clothed upon. The phrase is like, I'm not going to be naked. I'm going to be actually clothed upon with a temporary body until the glorified body actually takes place. Yep, right on. Oh, don't even go there, brother. <laughs> I have no idea. Gary, you've been, you're older than me. Do you have any reason why the graves gave up people and they started walking around Jerusalem after Jesus resurrected? There it is. Uh, it's really something. I have never preached on that one. Thank you very much. I'm sorry? There you go. Um, yeah, so they'd definitely be the Old Testament saints. And some, some have thought, if there's maybe one intelligent answer, 
is, is there was a need for, for them at the resurrection to testify to people in that region that indeed Jesus Christ resurrected and I'm going to give witness. But the sad thing is the poorer people would have to die again. <laughs> again, like Lazarus, and go through the whole thing. Or it could have been just this, okay, the graves are open up and they're going up, you know, like Gary's saying, I have no idea. You stumped the preacher. You stumped me. Thank you. Congratulations. Because I have never preached on that. I I talk about it. I'm like, yeah, it's like this whole, you know, zombie thing. Anyway, so I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. So you stumped me on that one. But it happened. I believe it to happen. If you want, I won't come tomorrow. No, no, I want you to come tomorrow, brother. You've been a blessing. You've been a blessing to me. So uh, go over with me. This is where I was going 20 minutes ago. This is awesome. This is what I wanted. You have no idea the blessing you guys have been to me. Look over First Thessalonians. What's that? Yeah. And in his order, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes, I would believe that they would be coming down also with King Jesus when he comes down at the end of the trip to establish the kingdom the saints will be with him. Absolutely. All the Old Testament saints, trib saints that have died and already gone up, it talks about the ones who have been beheaded that are already in heaven, they would all be coming down with King Jesus and he's going to be setting up the millennial reign. So they'll be coming back with him. Did that answer your question, Pastor? Well, no, they're in heaven already. They've already, they've already gone from paradise to heaven itself now. They're with God in heaven now. But they're not going to get the same bodies that we have. They are actually going to live back here on the earth. So you and I have a body that we can go to heaven, come back down to earth, just like that. They they stay on the earth. They don't have the celestial body. They don't have the body that's going to be able to go back and forth. That help? Yes, sir. There you go. There you go. Amen to that one. I love it. Yep. Paul, do you have a question too or comment? There's, a, there's also, I think, uh, isn't it at the end of, of the Battle of Armageddon where there's this period of six months where it takes that long to, to bury? Yeah, there's that and um, um, Micah. I was just reading that one yesterday. And it's, it's in Micah, if I remember, where they're going to take all of the weapons and they're going to melt them down, and they're going to make plows out of them. And it says they're going to study war no more. And so there's a, definitely a transitional time period as Christ is establishing the kingdom, no doubt. And it could be, I don't know, I'm not familiar with the six months, but it, it very well could be a time period that's actually talked about. I can't think of any myself, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. 
in that variable. It could be, well, see if you can find that for me. Because I'd love to, to, to know that if there does seem to be a time period. Dan, do you have your hand up? Okay. Um, let me go to 1 Thessalonians. Don't have time for all of them. But look at chapter um, 4. No, no, we went 3.13. And you have the rest of the verses there too. It says, To the end he will establish your hearts, unblameable, that's in holiness before God. And that's who we want to please. Even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. So here in this concept, he's talking about you and I living for the Lord and wanting to be blameless before the Lord. Why? Because we're going to be judged. Look over 1 John with me. And this is the reason why I believe that the judgment seat happens right after rapture takes place. Um, Look at 1 John in chapter 2, verse 28. I love John's endearing terms. He calls us little children. I love that. Verse 28, and now little children abide or stay side by side with him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence. So in other words, when Jesus comes, God is saying, listen, live for him. So when he comes, you're confident. Here he is versus and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So guess what, Christians? We could be going, oh, me. When Jesus comes, should have got that right. Can't go into the computer, guys, and delete the garbage that we were looking at. We can't, we can't get rid of this. We can't undo relationships. That's why when Jesus comes, it's not only imminent, it is done in a blink, in the twinkling of an eye. And you can't go to any brother or sister and say, I'm so sorry. I know I was vindictive. I know I hurt you, and I am so sorry. You have no time. It's done. What is, is. That's why I'm going to teach you something I live by. Try to. I live as though the Lord is coming today. I'm planning as though the Lord is not going to come in my lifetime. So I want to plan. I want to be wise in this life. But my my living, what I do in my accountability with people, I want to make sure it's right. And I, if I have somebody that hates my guts, and I, if I can go to them, I'm going to get it right with them. And if I have aught with somebody, I'm going to go to them and get it straightened up. Because when I go, if Jesus comes right now, I can't get that right. And I could lose rewards. And I could say, oh, why didn't I just obey? Why didn't I just do it God's way? Because we could be ashamed at his coming. And that's when he gets in, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Listen to this, this uh, appellation. You and I are called by title, the sons of God, all of us. And some would translate children of God. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's a reason that God uses masculine. Because the oldest son received the greatest double inheritance and we are joint heirs with Christ and we receive the blessings as the elder son we're like yeah we like really 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 win and so 
We've been called, given this title, the sons of God. And then he says, listen, the world's going to hate you. Hated Jesus is going to hate us, you know. But then he says, um, in verse, I'll pick you up there in verse number two. Beloved, now are you the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be. We don't get it. But he says, but when he appears, we're going to be just like him. For we're going to see him as he is. We're literally going to see Jesus in the air. The Byzantines in different time periods tried to make pictures of what they felt Jesus looked like. There's some people that felt they passed away, and there's one movie about the little girl that saw Jesus, you know, and it's like, oh, there's that was, and, and I don't know. All that I know is this: when we see him, when he comes back, there's not going to be. I wonder if that's Jesus or that Gabriel. We will know who Jesus is. Trust me, he's going to stick out in the crowd. And the majesty, and we're going to be looking at each other, floating up in the air, and we're going to be like, it's here. And everybody's all worried about, oh, I'll go, I don't have any back aches and knee aches, and won't have to have surgery. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's all really cool. But I think quickly we're going to forget about the pains that we were thinking about, and we're going to realize what heaven's all about. It's about a person. And no longer, you know, as a pastor, and I'm just going to be real candid here for a second. I think I'm going to do in heaven is sit in a corner for about 10,000 years and watch. And you know what I want to watch? Christians working together in unity for the first time. No division, no schisms, no agendas, no, well, that's my job. Boy, you're really sick at that job. And all the weird, wacko mindsets that we have of judgmental hearts. And it'll finally be done away with. And sin will not molest anymore. And we're going to sit and watch the church function as one for the first time. You can see it early on in, in the letters. The issues that the churches were going through. You know why? They got their eyes off of Christ. That's what he said to the early church. You, you lost your first love. It was Jesus. And when we lose that first love, and we forget he's coming back for us, we put ourselves up on the throne. And uh, everything is downhill. Pride comes before destruction. Haughty spirit before the fall. And that's what happens. Look over it with me at one other in Philippians. What time is it? I'm, I'm out of time, aren't I? Am I out of time? Look at if Philippians in chapter 2. And, uh, or is it 3? No, I'm sorry, it's chapter 3. 320 and 21. Love these verses. Uh, can somebody read these, those for me? 20 and 21 of chapter 3. Anybody got that? You got it? Uh, Philippians? That's okay. Yeah, it's okay. No, don't worry about it. Anybody got it? Philippians 3? You got it? Okay, sister. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Yeah, so even our bodies, everything is going to be yielded in like Jesus Christ's glorious body. So when you read about the resurrection of Christ, it's like, he popped into a room. Where did he come from? 
How can he do that? Well, guess what? We're going to be able to do that. Has he ascended up into heaven? We're going to be able to do that. He's going to be so cool. I always loved Superman when I was a kid. I put that cape on, you know, and then I'd jump, jump off of the steps onto the, you know, the couch, and my mom would yell at me because I was doing that. I just wanted to fly. And when I got hold of Rapture, I'm like, literally, not even these, these, these roofs are going to be able to hold us back. We're going to go right through it. And there's, you say, that just can't happen. Scientifically, you're right. But with God, all things are possible. And he is going to change us. And the element, nothing, the, the whole, and I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's really cool when you study angels out. You know, God says, okay, angel, I want you to go down. Uh, Gabriel, I want you to tell, you know, Mary and Joseph what's going on with Jesus. Tell them, yep, she's going to be with a child and everything. Okay, zoop, he's there. He's there. He gets the commission from God, and he's there. And that's the stuff that blows my brain away, that we can't even imagine what it's actually going to be like. Really awesome. Can't wait for rapture. So here's all kinds of verses on rapture. Um, This is probably not exhaustive list, but I gave you a lot of them that you'll be able to study, that each one of these talks about rapture and being rapture ready. Okay, questions for me? Time for a break. And we got one more set. Yes, sir.